Volume two, chapter five of The Day Will Come by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter five. Upon a tone, a touch of hers, his blood would ebb and flow, and his cheek changed tempestuously. But she in these fond feelings had no share. Her sighs were not for him. To her he was even as a brother, but no more after that conversation with the house-agent the idea that he had found the clue to the cheriton chase mystery took root in theodore dalbrook's mind taking as his starting-point the notion of a deadly hatred wreaking itself in an indirect revenge there seemed no more likely figure for the role of avenger than that of the wronged and deserted husband the one startling improbability in this view of the case was the long interval between the husband's appearance at myrtle cottage and the date of the murder but even this difficulty theodore was able to account for upon the hypothesis of a gradual perversion a descent from vice to crime as the man's nature hardened under the corrupting influence of a profligate life while the old festering sore grew into a malignant canker under the lash of misery he had seen in that great seething cauldron of london life men whose countenances bore the stamp of a degradation so profound that the most ferocious crime might seem the normal outcome of their perverted natures he could imagine how the broken-down gentleman steeped in drink and embittered by the idea of wrongs which had been the natural consequence of his own misconduct had sunk step by step upon the ladder of vice till he had arrived at that lowest deep where the dreams of men are stained with blood and darkened by the shadow of a hangman he could imagine such a man brooding over his wrongs for long years nursing his jealous wrath as the one touch of manliness that survived in him until some newspaper description of the dalbrook and carmichael wedding reminded him of the bitter contrast between his own lot and that of his rival and lashed into sudden fury he set out upon his murderous errand hardly caring whom he murdered so long as he could hurt the man he hated the very fact that mr danvers husband had been described as a craven made the idea of his guilt more likely only a coward would have chosen such a revenge only a coward could have stretched out his hand from the darkness to kill a man who had never injured him the crime was the crime of a coward or a madman and this man brutalized by drink may have been both madman and coward here at least was a man closely associated with james dalbrook's life and having good cause to hate him in the darkness surrounding the murder of godfrey carmichael this was the first flash of light and having arrived at this point theodore dalbrook saw himself face to face with the new and seemingly insurmountable difficulty to follow this clue to the end to bring the crime home to the husband of lord cheriton's cast-off mistress was to expose the history of the great man's earlier years to the world at large to offer up a reputation which had hitherto been stainless as a rich and savoury repast to that carrion brood consisting of almost everybody which loves to feast upon garbage how the evening newspapers would revel in the details of such a story what denunciations what gloating over the weakness of a strong man's life how the contents bills would bristle with appetizing headings how the shrill-voiced newsboys would yell their startling particulars their latest developments of the cheriton chase scandal this must all inevitably follow upon the discovery of the murder if the murderer were indeed the injured husband there could be no possible escape from that glare of publicity that swelling symphony of slander from the moment the law laid its hand upon the criminal the case would pass beyond individual control and individual interests and reputations would become as naught 
justice would have to do its work and in the doing of it must needs afford the usual opportunity to the newspapers theodore thought with horror of such humiliation coming upon lord cheriton and threw him upon juanita who loved her father with a reverential affection and who was intensely proud of his character and position he thought of gentle lady cheriton who adored her husband and who doubtless would be made miserable by the knowledge that his first love had been given to another woman whom he had loved well enough to sacrifice honour for the sake of that illicit love what agony to that single-minded trusting creature to find that dark spot upon her husband's past and to know that the daughter's happiness had been blighted because of the father's sin with these considerations in his mind it seemed to theodore that it would be better to halt on the very threshold of discovery and yet there was the appalling thought of further possibilities in the way of crime of a madman's revenge carried a stage further a madman's pistol aimed at the defenceless mother or the unconscious child what was he to do was there no alternative between inaction and such action as must speedily set in motion the machinery of the law and thus deprive him of all free will in the future conduct of the case yes there was an alternative course if he were once assured of the identity of the assassin it might be in his power to lay hands upon him and to place him under such circumstances of control in the future as would ensure juanita's safety and render any further crime impossible if the man were mad as theodore thought more than likely he might be quietly got into an asylum if he were still master of his actions he might be got abroad to the remotest colony in the antipodes the knowledge of his crime would be a hold over him a lever which would remove him to the uttermost ends of the earth if need were this would be an illegal compromise no doubt unjustifiable in the eye of the law but if it ensured juanita's safety and saved her father's character the compromise was worth making it was indeed the only way by which her security and her father's good name could be provided for to arrive at this result he had to find the man who had appeared in mr atkins's office about four-and-twenty years ago and of whose subsequent existence he theodore had no knowledge i must begin at the other end he told himself if that man was the murderer he must have been seen in the neighbourhood it is not possible that he could have come to the place and watched for his opportunity and got clear off after the deed was done without being seen by human eyes and yet there remained the fact that the local policeman and a london detective had both failed in obtaining the faintest trace of a suspicious-looking stranger or indeed of any stranger male or female who had been observed in the neighbourhood of cheriton before or after the murder there remained the fact that a large reward had been offered without resulting in one scrap of information bearing upon the subject how could he hope in the face of these facts to trace the movements of a man whose personal appearance was unknown to him and who had come and gone like a shadow i can but try and i can but fail he told himself knowing what i know now i cannot remain inactive it may be that he had caught something of the fiery eagerness which consumed juanita that in his ardent desire to be worthy of her regard to waste his life in her service he had become as it were inoculated with the spirit of his mistress and hoped as she hoped and thought as she thought with the beginning of the long vacation he went to dorchester but this time not alone he took his friend cuthbert ramsay with him as a visitor to the grave old house in the grave old town his sisters often made a complaint against him that he never introduced any of his college friends to them 
that whereas the sisters of other university men were rich in the acquaintance of charlie's and algernon's and fred's and tom's who were producible at tennis parties and available for picnics at the shortest notice they were restricted to the use of dorchester and a horizon bounded by the country houses of the immediate neighbourhood remembering these reproaches and seeing that his friend ramsay was obviously pining for rest and country air theodore suggested that he should occupy the bachelor's room in cornhill as long as he could venture to stop away from hospitals and lectures and scientific investigations you want a long fallow cuthbert he said and you couldn't have a better lotus island than dorchester there's not an excitement or a fever sensation to be had within twenty miles and then i really want to make you known to my cousin lord cheriton he is a very clever man an all-around man and he would be interested in you and all that you are doing i shall be proud of knowing him and then there is your cousin lady carmichael i am deeply interested in her without having ever seen her face and when i do see her you will say she is one of the loveliest women you ever saw in your life cuthbert i have no doubt of that you will see her beauty under a cloud for she is not one of those women who begin to get over the loss of a husband as soon as their crape gets rusty but her beauty is all the more touching on account of the grief that separates her from all other women even from her past self i sometimes look at her and wonder if this sad and silent woman can be the juanita i once knew the light-hearted spontaneous girl a buoyant creature all impulse and caprice fancy and imagination you may be sure that i shall admire her and you may be sure i shall not forget that there is some one whose admiration has a deeper root than the lust of the eye and the fancy of the moment theodore would not affect to misunderstand him it was not possible that he could have talked of his cousin in the freedom of friendship without having revealed his secret to his friend my dear fellow he said with a sigh mine is a hopeless case you will know that it is so when you see juanita and me together her mother said to me on the first day of this year if ever she comes to care for anybody it will be some new person and i have not the least doubt that her mother was right her first love was her playfellow the companion of her girlhood a woman cannot have two such loves her second attachment if she ever make one will be of a totally different character who knows theodore a woman's heart is to be measured by no calipers that i know of it is subject to no scientific test we cannot say it shall give this or that result it may remain cold as marble to a man through years of faithful devotion and then in an instant the marble may change to a volcano and hidden fires may leap out of that seeming coldness nil desperandum should be the motto of all inventors and of all lovers dorchester and especially the old house in cornhill received mr ramsay with open arms harrington was in the dejected state of a young man who has been rudely awakened from youth's sweetest delusion fooled and forsaken by juliet baldwin he had told himself that all women are liars and was doing all in his power to establish his reputation as a woman-hater in this temper of mind he was not averse from his own sex and he welcomed his brother's friend with unaffected cordiality and was evidently cheered by the new life which ramsay's vivacity brought into the quiet atmosphere of home the sisters were delighted to do honour to a scientific man and were surprised on attacking mr ramsay at dinner with the ease and aplomb of confrères in modern science to discover one of two things either that he knew nothing or that they knew very little they were at first inclined to the former opinion but it gradually dawned upon them that their own much-valued learning was of a very elementary character and that their facts were for the most part wrong 
chastened by this discovery they allowed the conversation to drift into lighter channels and never again tackled mr ramsay either upon the broad and open subject of evolution or the burning question of the cholera bacillus they were even content to leave him to the enjoyment of his own views upon spontaneous generation and the movement of glaciers instead of setting him right upon both subjects as they had intended in the beginning of their acquaintance he is remarkably handsome but horribly dogmatic sophia told her brother and i'm afraid he belongs to the showy shallow school which has arisen since the death of darwin he would hardly have dared to talk as he did at dinner during darwin's lifetime perhaps not if darwin had been omnipresent oh there is a restraining influence in the very existence of such a man he is a perpetual court of appeal against arrogant smatterers i don't think you can call a man who took a first class in science a smatterer sophie however i'm sorry you don't like my friend i like him well enough but i'm not imposed upon by his dogmatism the two young men drove to millbrook priory on the following day theodore feeling painfully eager to discover what change the last few months had made in juanita she had been in switzerland with lady jane and the baby living first at grindelwald and later in one of those little villages on the shores of the lake of the forest cantons which combine the picturesque and the dull in a remarkable degree a mere cluster of chalets and cottages at the foot of the rigi facing the monotonous beauty of the lake and the calm grandeur of snow-capped mountains which shut in that tranquil corner of the earth and shut out all the busy world beyond it nowhere else had juanita felt that deep sense of seclusion that feeling of being remote from the din and press of life and now she was again at the priory she had settled down there in her new position as widow and mother a woman for whom all life's passionate story was over who must live henceforward for that new life growing day by day towards that distant age of passion and of sorrow through which she had passed suddenly and briefly crowding into a month the emotions of a lifetime there are women who have lived to celebrate their golden wedding who in fifty years of wedlock have not felt half her sum of love and who in losing the companion of half a century have not felt half her sum of grief it is the capacity for loving and suffering which differs in different people and weighed against that time counts but little she received her cousin with all her old friendliness she was a little more cheerful than when last they met and he saw that the new interest of her life had done good lady jane was at swanage and juanita was alone at the priory though not without the expectation of company a little later in the year as the sisters and their husbands were to be with her before the first of october so that the expense of pheasant breeding might not be altogether wasted you must be here as much as you can in october theodore she said and help me to endure mr grenville and mr morningside one talks nothing but sport and the other insists upon teaching me the science of politics she received cuthbert ramsay with a serious sweetness which charmed him yes she was verily beautiful among women exceptionally beautiful those southern eyes shone star-like in the settled pallor of her face and her whole countenance was etherealized by thought and grief it touched the stranger to see how she struggled to put away the memory of her sorrow and to receive him with all due hospitality how she restrained herself as she showed him the things that had been a part of her dead husband's existence and told him the story of the old house which had sheltered so many generations of carmichaels lady cheriton had been lunching at the priory where she came at least twice a week to watch her grandson's development in all those graces of mind and person which marked his superiority to the average baby she came all the oftener because of the difficulty in getting juanita to cheriton 
my poor child will hardly ever visit us she told theodore as they sauntered on the lawn while juanita was showing mr ramsay the pictures in the dining-room she has an insurmountable horror of the house she was once so fond of and i can't wonder at it and i can't be angry with her i have seen how painfully her old home affects her so i don't worry her to come to us often i make a point of getting her there once in a way in the hope of overcoming her horror of the place as time goes by and i have even gone out of my way to make changes in the furniture and decorations so that the rooms should not look exactly the same as they looked in her fatal honeymoon but i can see in her face that every corner of the house is haunted for her once when she had been calm and cheerful with me for a whole afternoon walking about the garden and going from room to room she flung herself into my arms suddenly sobbing passionately we were so happy mother she said so happy in this fatal house we must bear with her poor girl god has given her a dark lot theodore had seen an anxious questioning look in juanita's eyes from the beginning of his visit and he took the first opportunity of being alone with her while lady cheriton entertained mr ramsay with an exposition of the merits of her grandson who was calmly slumbering in a hammock on the lawn unconscious of her praises and half smothered in embroidered coverlets have you found out anything she asked eagerly as soon as they were out of earshot yes i believe i have really come upon a clue and that i may ultimately discover the murderer but i can give you no details as yet the whole thing is too vague how clever of you to succeed where the police have utterly failed oh theodore you cannot imagine how i shall value you how deeply grateful stop juanita for heaven's sake don't praise me i may be chasing a will-o'-the-wisp i don't suppose that any experienced detective would take up such a clue as i am going to follow only you have set me to do this thing and it has become the business of my life to obey you you are all that is good pray tell me everything you have discovered however vague your ideas may be no juanita i can tell you nothing yet you must trust me dear i am at best only on the threshold of a discovery it may be long before i advance another step be content to know that i am not idle she gave an impatient sigh it is so hard to be kept in the dark she said i dream night after night that i myself am on the track of his murderer sometimes that i meet him face to face oh the hideous pallid face the face of a man who has been hanged and brought to life again it is always the same kind of face the same dull livid hue though it differs as to features though the man is never the same you cannot imagine the agony of those dreams theodore lay that ghost for me if you can make my life peaceful though it can never be happy never is a long word nita as the years go by your child's love will give life a new colour yes he is very dear he has crept into my heart a little nestling unconscious thing knowing nothing of my love or my sorrow and yet seeming to comfort me i sometimes think my darling spirit looks out of those clear eyes they seem so full of thought of thought far beyond human wisdom theodore could see that the work of healing was being done slowly but surely the gracious influence of a new love was being exercised and the frozen heart was reviving to life and warmth under the soft touch of those baby fingers he saw his cousin smile with something of the old brightness as she stood by while cuthbert ramsay dandled the little lord of carmichael priory in his great strong arms smiling down at the tiny pink face peeping out a cloud of lace and muslin any one can see that mr ramsay is fond of children 
said lady charrington approvingly as if a liking for infants just short-coated were the noblest virtue of manhood oh i am fond enough of the little beggars answered cuthbert lightly all the gutter brats about st thomas's know me and hang on to my coat-tails as i go by i like to look at a child's face those old shrewd london faces especially and speculate upon the life that lies before those younglings the things those eyes are to see the words those lips are to speak life is such a tremendous mystery don't you know one can never be tired of wondering about it but this fellow is going to be very happy and a great man in the land he is going to belong to the new order the order of the rich who go through life shoulder to shoulder with the poor the redressers of wrongs the adjusters of social levels i hope you are not a socialist mr ramsay said lady cheriton with an alarmed air not much but i acknowledge that there are points where my ideas touch the boundary line of socialism i don't want impossibilities i have no dream of a day where there shall be no more millionaires no great patrons of art or great employers of labour but only a dead level of small means and shabby dwellings and sordid colourless lives no there must be butterflies as well as ants if it were only that the ants may have something pretty to look at what i should like to see is a stronger bond of friendship and sympathy between the two classes a real knowledge and understanding of each other between rich and poor and the twin demons patronage and sycophancy exercised for ever and ever the tea-tables were brought out upon the lawn by this time sir godfrey carmichael was carried off by his nurse and the two young men sat down with lady cheriton and her daughter under the tree beneath which juanita and her husband had sat on that one blissful day which they had spent together at the priory as man and wife they seemed a very cheery and pleasant quartette as they sat in the sultry afternoon atmosphere with the level lawn and flower-bed stretching before them and the white belt of old timber shutting out all the world beyond cuthbert ramsay was the chief talker full of animal spirits launching the wildest paradoxes the most unorthodox opinions the very sound of his strong full voice the very ring of his buoyant laugh were enough to banish gloomy thoughts and sad memories lady cheriton was delighted with this new acquaintance first because he was dexterous in handling a baby next on the score of general merits she was not a deeply read person but she had a profound respect for culture in other people and she had an idea that a scientific man was a creature apart belonging to a loftier world than that which she and her intellectual equals inhabited theodore had told her of his friend's claims to distinction his hard work in several cities and seeing this earnest worker boyish and light-hearted interested in the most frivolous subjects she was lost in wonder at his condescension she begged him to go to cheriton with theodore at the earliest opportunity an invitation which he accepted gladly i have long wished to know lord cheriton he said the two young men left soon after tea cuthbert's high spirits deserted him at the priory gates and both men were thoughtful during the homeward drive well cuthbert what do you think of my cousin now that you have seen her theodore asked when he had driven the first mile i can only agree with you my dear fellow she is a very lovely woman i think there could hardly be two opinions upon that point and do you think as i do that it is hopeless for any man to spend his life in worshipping her do you think her heart is buried with her dead husband only as proserpine was buried with pluto it is not in human nature for so young a woman to wear her weeds for a lifetime the hour of revival must come sooner or later she has too bright and quick an intellect to submit to the monotony of an inconsolable sorrow her energy expends itself now in the desire to avenge her husband's death 
failing in that her restless spirit will seek some new outlet she is beginning to be interested in her child as that interest grows with the child's growth her horizon will widen and then and then when she has discovered that life can still be beautiful her heart will become accessible to a new love the cure and the change the awakening from death to life may be slower than it is in most such cases because this woman is the essence of sincerity and all her feelings lie deep but the awakening will come you may be sure of that wait for it theodore possess your soul in patience you can afford to be philosophical said the other with a sigh you are not in love true my friend no doubt that makes a difference End of chapter five